Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, thank you for uh, making plans to be with us again today. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess. I'll be taking us through the second, uh, well, actually the final uh, installment of our series, which is uh, from the How to Be a Man uh, trilogy. And uh, the one we're working on is uh, the subtitle, Discovering What It Means to Be a Disciple. There's actually three of these. Uh, you can get these at themanchurch.com. They're three 40-day devotionals. And then our 40-week curriculum all flow off of these three 40-day uh, devotionals. So uh, we're, we're in the, the final one of this trilogy, and this is what it means to be a disciple. Uh, we've gone through seven weeks prior to today. Uh, so we've looked at disciples have been transformed by Christ. Disciples surrender to a gospel-centered life. Uh, disciples hunger to know God. Uh, disciples desire to worship God. Uh, disciples pursue personal holiness. Uh, disciples embrace Christian community. Uh, disciples engage with their surroundings. And then today, uh, we will get into the final uh, installment of what it means to be a disciple. And today, we'll talk about disciples invest in multiplying disciples. Uh, and this is the one that probably uh, we neglect the most. Uh, we, we've kind of, there's been some challenging parts about this, but but uh, this final installment, we'll talk about the call to every disciple to actually make disciples. Uh, and we'll unpack what that looks like today. We'll assess ourselves to see where we are. Some things you need to know with themanchurch.com. And we've got a lot of folks out and about uh, as we're doing man churches everywhere. Uh, as churches everywhere are implementing the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, I'll be in Athens, Alabama Thursday night on August the 12th. So if you're listening to this and watching it live on August the 11th, uh, I'll be there tomorrow night. That's First Baptist Church, Athens, Alabama, Man Church. Uh, they're going, they, they finished the first 40-week curriculum, which is the pursuit, uh, and then they're going into the second 40-week curriculum, which is called Real Men uh, of the Bible. So I'll be there uh, for their Man Church. You're welcome to join us. You can get tickets by checking uh, all the details at BurgessMinistries.com under events. Uh, then this weekend, my wife Sherry and I are looking forward to seeing all of you that are traveling to Pensacola, Florida. Uh, we'll be there with these couples for the Together Marriage Conference. Shane and Shane will be in concert right after that. Uh, then coming up uh, next weekend, uh, I'll be in, uh, at Linwood Baptist Church in Cape Girardeau, Missouri. Coming up on the 21st, we'll be doing a man church one day. This is kind of like our mini conference that we put into one half a day on a Saturday. Uh, and Rich Wingo and I will be the speakers. We'll also have a panel. Uh, so if you'd like to join us for that, uh, you simply go to BurgessMinistries.com uh, as well. So if you're wanting to know where some other guys are going to be that are part of the, the team at TheManChurch.com, uh, you can see Rich Wingo in Op, Alabama, coming up on August the 13th. Uh, he will be there this uh, uh, at uh, as they, I think this is their third man church as they go on. The 15th, uh, Rich Wingo will also be, um, I'm sorry, not Rich Wingo, it'll be Brian Gunn at Enon Baptist Church in Morris, Alabama on the 15th of August. First Baptist Church, Troy, Alabama, Scott Dawson will be at your man church coming up on August the 16th. And these are all churches that are either kicking off the curriculum or they're in the middle of the curriculum. Uh, then coming up on the 22nd of August, uh, Michael Helms, uh, Helmsley from the Rick and Bubba Show, will be at Parkway Baptist, Tuscumbia, Alabama, as they kick it off. Uh, and then on the 29th of August, uh, Rich Wingo, we had to reschedule that. He's at First Baptist Church, Columbus, Mississippi, uh, kicking off uh, their, uh, or continuing uh, in the curriculum uh, because I think this will be their third man church that they've been doing in Columbus, Mississippi. Uh, and then on uh, September the 12th, 
I'll be at West Mobile Baptist Church in Mobile, Alabama, kicking off uh, their curriculum with a man church. Now, to find, if you just want to know about man churches only, you don't, no matter who's speaking, go to the man church, themanchurch.com, and click on events. So let's open up with a word of prayer. Let's jump right in uh, to this last installment uh, for this curriculum, uh, discovering what it means to be a disciple. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to hear what you have to say today. I pray that you continue to mold us into the people that only you can. Uh, and Lord, this, this clear command from you for us to go and make disciples, uh, it's very clear, it's not hard to understand, but for some reason we have such difficulty actually doing it. Uh, so be with us today, Lord, as we unpack this all-important truth. In your holy name we pray, amen. Uh, I was just uh, reflecting as we started this. I've been uh, listening to one of my mentors, Steve Farrar. He's, uh, he does a, a Wednesday Bible study at his church, and they put it out on a podcast. And if you've never done that, uh, it would be a great one to add to your arsenal as well, Steve Farrar. So uh, he's kind of a, the, one of the deans of men's ministry. I mean, he's the point man, baby. And, and so I was listening to him, and he's doing, uh, he's doing a walk through Ecclesiastes right now. And he, he was referencing uh, Matthew 7, which we talk about here a lot, uh, these very convicting words uh, from Jesus. And, and it ties into what we're going to talk about today. Jesus in Matthew 7, uh, beginning in verse 24, remember he just talked about before that, which we've talked about many times, is not everyone who claims to be one of his disciples actually are. And he, he says, if you want to see the ones that are really my disciples, they'll be the one not just saying my name, not just trying to tie many things. They'll be the ones who are actually doing the will of my Father. They'll actually be doing what my Father told them to do, which, you know, Jesus says, you know, when, when you see me, you see the Father. I speak now on behalf of the Father. And then the, in verse 24, referencing back to what he just said uh, in verses 21 through 23 in Matthew 7, Jesus says, everyone then, meaning I'm referring back to what I just said, you know, it's almost a therefore. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. You know, I, I don't know about you, but many times in my life I hear what Jesus has to say, but too many times I hear what he says, but I don't do it. Uh, and so what, what, what he is saying is anyone who hears what I teach and then actually does it, those are the ones who are building their house upon a rock, meaning... If you just hear me but you don't do it, then you're still building your life on sand because you're, you're not going to experience the life-changing um, uh, power of actually obeying my commandments. So in the, in the, in the 40-day devotional, uh, T.J. Gilliam actually wrote this. I don't know if you ever heard T.J. speak before or teach, but he's an outstanding teacher. Uh, and you definitely want to get what he takes away from that in the actual devotional. But one of the verses are the verses he wants us to unpack one of the ones is still in Matthew. So just kind of, if you're already there in Matthew in chapter 7, now let's flip over to, to chapter 16. So Matthew chapter 16. Now, this is going to be Matthew's account of the same thing at themanchurch.com. If you look at some of our, if you look at our logo and some of the swag we have, uh, it, it has Luke 9.23. Well, this is this exact same moment, and instead of Luke telling us about it uh, after doing the interviews that he does, this is Matthew telling us about it, the same exact moment when he's there. And, and, you know, that's the beauty of the four Gospels where we get every detail and we get different looks from four different people 
uh, on either I was there or I interviewed people who, who were there when we, when we have Luke. So Matthew says, I was there, and, and in, in verse 24 of Matthew 16, he said, Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now we, we, Luke says this too in, in Luke chapter 9. Uh, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and then he forfeits his soul? Or, or what shall a man give in return for his soul? And, and so Jesus is making the point, first off, if, if we're going to be his disciple, then we have to understand, I don't know if you remember when the Purpose Driven Life uh, was sweeping the nation and Rick Warren put that out. And, and if you go to chapter 1, the very first line in the book says, it's not about you. Uh, and, and if we could learn that to begin with, that this isn't about us, if we're true, truly going to follow Jesus, that we deny ourselves. And Jesus says, anyone that wants to be my disciple, if you can't deny yourself, we can't even get started. Now, remember we talked about this before. When Jesus is saying here in English, deny self, the actual Greek words that are being used here, that doesn't mean become a better version of yourself. That's not what that means. It's not some self-help, I got to do better, I got a life coach kind of thing. It's literally saying that, that our life no longer exists and we've immersed ourselves in Christ. Remember telling you what we need to learn? Uh, like it, it means that when I became a, a, a disciple of Jesus, I became Rick in Christ. So I'm now who he makes me, not who I once was. I no longer exist. The old Rick is over. Okay? So he says, and, and if, you don't, if you don't understand that now it is time, and this is hard for us, now it's time for you to take your life and be willing to give it up for other people. Meaning, go out now and you need to make other disciples even if it costs you. Uh, this is not about you saying, hey, I've been redeemed, so now let me heap everything on me and let's look at all the wonderful things it's done for me. No, he says, if you're more concerned about your life than, than, than actually sacrificing your life, that's the kind of people that will lose their life. And... and just think about this in the times we're in right now. You know, if you're sitting here, I said this the other day about all this going on with the pandemic and who knows what's going to happen and got a lot of people sick, got people that have died, got people somewhere in between. Uh, you know, heck, who knows? Uh, you know, it, it, it may, it's, some, it's, it's, it, it's touched us all. It can continue to touch our, us all. But I will tell you this, that one of the things that I've really struggled with, and, and I think it's time for us to understand, and I said this the other day uh, on the actual show, is that I, you got to be careful that you don't make yourself sick worrying about getting sick. Uh, you know, you, you, you can actually make yourself sick worrying about getting sick. Uh, and, because what Jesus is saying is, why don't you concentrate on something that has eternal value, and that is you now taking what I've done for you and let nothing get in the way of you telling somebody else. It, so I want us to right now, as we start this, I want you to think in your life right now, as I think in mine, could Jesus look into your life and say, that disciple of mine is actually making other disciples? Is there anybody in your life that you're discipling to be a disciple? It could be your children. It could be you being a spiritual leader for your wife. It could be someone you work with, someone that's been put in your life. Because Jesus' commandment for us to make other disciples, and we'll, we'll get through more verses today, is undeniable. And what, that, what you have to do first, if you're ever going to do that, is, is, is get over yourself and say, I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the good of other people. I'm willing to sacrifice myself 
for the advancement of the kingdom. All I want to be is in Christ, and if I'm in Christ, I'm going to do what he did, and that was to continue to go and make disciples. That's part of my life. That's part of the responsibility of being his disciple. So uh, let, let's now uh, go over to the book of Mark. Just kind of turn over a few pages, uh, and you'll be now into the book of Mark. And we, Let's go to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Uh, so in Mark chapter 12, in verse 30, uh, here, here is Jesus once again, uh, and he's making something very clear to us when he says this, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, before you just land there, back up a minute and come back over to, to verse 28, Okay. This, I remember this was early on in my walk with Jesus. It was early on when I had been redeemed that this moment in Scripture really, really had an impact on me because Jesus has asked a very, very straight, profound question, and he actually answers it. He doesn't say that's an unreasonable question. You're trying to trick me. He answers the question. Listen to what the question is. And one of the scribes came up, and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus didn't dodge the question. I, I want you all to, this is important. Jesus Christ, God is a man, 100% God, 100% man. Somebody stood up and said, hey, Jesus, God, I would like to ask you what is the greatest commandment, and Jesus didn't say, that's an unfair question. Or I, that's, that's, I can't answer that. He actually did answer and tell us what was the greatest commandment. Anybody think that's big? Yeah, he answered the question. So he said, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the, God, you shall love, uh, the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And then in 34, he said, in the second part of this, meaning the second greatest commandment, is that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus Christ says this, there is no other commandment greater than these. Anybody think that's big? That's big. Uh, I mean, God just said, you better get these two. And if you get these two, you pretty much get it all. Now, it's difficult. Uh, and, I, and don't forget that when he says love your neighbor as you love yourself, he put that second because if you don't get the first part, you ain't ever going to do that anyway. I mean, just speaking from experience. Uh, so uh, me loving my neighbor more than I love myself or as my love, self, love myself, it has to be a supernatural thing. Okay? Uh, it just doesn't come to me naturally. So, uh, so what he says is we should love the Lord our God. Now, remember, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6 here. This was said by God in Deuteronomy 6. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. So, so not some of your heart. All your heart sold out to the Lord. And with all your soul. That, that's, that's the soul is our awareness of who we are. That's our personality. That's me knowing that I exist. So all my heart, and, which is my spirit, and all my soul, which is my awareness of who I am, my personality, should be completely devoted to the Lord. There should be none of it that, 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 I, that he is sharing with anything else. And, and, and he says, and then what? With all your strength. So that's a pretty big ask 
And you know why it's a big ask? He's bringing this up just like he kept bringing up the law for us to realize it's impossible. That's why you got to have me. That's why Jesus said, that's why you got to have me. Do you hear the standard? Remember what I said, and it gets pushback sometimes. I don't have to be perfect. Yeah, you do. If you're going to walk in the presence of a holy God, we have to all be perfect. Can anybody here make themselves perfect? I can't, but Jesus can. Jesus presents us as fully righteous, not partially righteous, fully righteous. So when he was asked what the greatest commandment is, he said, if, you're, if this is the way you live your life, all the commandments are tied up in this. You got it. You know, it, it would be like me. I picture me, I always pictured me growing in Christ, being the person at this, at this gathering, and, and I know what I would say. Hey, that's a lot you're talking about. Can you put this in a nutshell? Uh, what's my takeaway? What I need to leave here with, Jesus? And you know what he said? I'll tell you. Uh, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor like you love yourself. So the question we have to ask, uh, if, see, if we get this right, we're so in love with Jesus, and Jesus is such the center of our whole being, us going out making disciples is just natural. Right? Have you seen that? I, I hope you'll stop if you're, if you're trying to. I hope you'll stop trying to come up with your new self-control rules and your, your new, here's I got to do better. Jesus is not your life coach. Jesus is life. He is the source. Remember the message on abiding in Jesus? He's the source. And he's saying, I'm trying to let you know how high the standard is so you'll realize you can't do it and only I can. So just abide in me. You lock and load and you, you cling to me and you be immersed with me and you go, well, Rick, how should I be immersed with Jesus? I'll tell you how. The same way you immersed yourself and everything else you became an expert in. Right? What, what, what are things that you know a lot about? Well, how did you learn those things? How did that become so important to you? Well, just do the same thing with this. It's got a much better return, I promise you. And so that's what he's saying. Now, now stay in Mark and go over to verse 1. I mean, sorry, chapter 1. Go to chapter 1, verse 16 uh, through 18. So dial over to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 16 through 18. Mark 1, 16 through 18. Here's Jesus calling the first disciples, which he then tells us to do. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net uh, into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make, and, and you will make you become fishers of men. Now here's the part that blows my mind in verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. What? Uh, there's, there's no hesitation. There's no... I, I will tell you this, if Jesus is what we're going out and we're calling people to, because we're not calling to be our disciples, we're calling to be disciples of Jesus. What we're seeing here is that Jesus is so powerful, if we truly will present Jesus correctly, people will follow him immediately. And, uh, and so, so it, 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 he's the key. And, and, and if you look here, if we just will submit to his authority and immerse ourselves in him, and say, will you help me to call people to follow you? He will. And uh, certainly he had this set up and ready to go. None of us are Jesus. So remember, I think sometimes we get so caught up and when we're trying to make disciples of having some perfect presentation like we're a bunch of salesmen. We're not salesmen. 
we're disciples of Jesus that, that say, Jesus has changed my life. Let me tell you who he is, and he'll change yours too. That's it. Now, not everybody will immediately follow him, but it really is no more complicated than that. Somebody asked me one time, says, well, I don't know how to, I don't know how to present Jesus to people. And I'm like, well, what did he do for you? And when they said it, I said, well, then just tell them that. I mean, you don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to have some theological degree. I mean, can't you say, sometimes that stuff messes you up. What I'm saying is, can't you say, and if you can't, because remember, you can't make somebody something you're not. Okay, we, we, we talk about that all the time. But can't you say that I was once this way? I became a disciple of Jesus. He came into my life, and because of the power of him, I'm now this way. You can do that, can't you? Well, then that's it. That, 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 that's what he's called us to do. Uh, and I'll tell you more about that when you go over to Colossians. Come over to Colossians. That's back to the left now. Go to Colossians, and we're going to go to chapter 3. And you've heard these verses a lot, but we need to hear them again. So uh, Colossians chapter 3, and we're looking at what we need to tell people right here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. If, and underline if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And then look at three. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, one way to actually go out and make disciples, is first of all, you have to make that a priority on, on, on the way you see the world. I mean, is this something that you have out in front of you every day? Is this, is this something that says, if, if you have been raised... With Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things on the earth. Is that how you and I live our life? I mean, do we, do we see ourselves living our life setting our minds on things that are above? Do you have a heaven-focused life? Do you get up in the way that you live your life, loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, do you get up and say the filter for which I that I look at the world, that filter is through the prism of, of, of things that are eternal. I'm looking through Jesus. That's the priority in my life. There's really nothing that supersedes that. Now, you know, you, you got to learn to do small talk and things like that, like I said, so you, people at least can have some friends. But, but, I mean, is everything you're doing moving through that prism of, of Jesus and, and heaven-focused, or would you be honest, and say, this is something I get around to when I've done everything else that I'm really passionate about. Because if you don't believe that you can be a disciple maker, I would challenge you that you already are one. I, I, I would challenge everybody watching this and listening to this that you your whole life you've been a disciple maker. You're just making people disciples of everything else you love. You're a disciple maker with restaurants. You're a disciple maker with entertainment. You're a disciple maker on some new pants you got. You're, you're a disciple maker on fill in the blank. Everybody in here is a disciple maker. Everybody watching this is a disciple maker. We've just been making people disciples and everything else we love. Right? Don't you try to get people to, to, to be into the things you're into and tell them what they're missing? You know, well then just, just transfer that 
to be a disciple maker of Jesus. That, that's what means the most to you, so you want everybody to know about him. You want everybody to know about what he did for you. You just take that focus, like Paul's saying here, and, and you focus it on, on things that are above versus all this stuff you keep making people disciples of that's here on earth. Right? Man, you got to do this. How many times have you said that to somebody? Man, you got to do this. You got to do this. Well, man, they need Jesus more than anything. It, their eternity is wrapped around that. So then let's go to the Great Commission. So turn back to Matthew, uh, and let's go to Matthew again. Uh, and now let's go to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. All right. So you, th we should be very familiar with this. This, this, uh, this is the, uh, the Great Commission coming up here in Matthew 28. And, and, you know, we've talked about this many times, but sometimes we have to ask ourselves, and I know it's an old, worn-out phrase that I heard, you know, when, when I was a boy, and that is, this is the Great Commission, not the Great Suggestion. Uh, and, um, and, and there's a part in here that usually uh, is left out of the Great Commission, but, but we're not going to leave it out today. So, so here it says in 19, a matter of fact, I've heard uh, commentaries, commentators call it the Great Omission. Uh, but anyway, so here's what Jesus said uh, after he just declared that all authority in heaven and on earth had been given to him. He's about to ascend. Okay, I mean, we're about to start the church age. He's winding down to the last things he's saying before he returns to his proper place of glory. And here's what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples, underline that, of all nations, underline that, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And here comes the great omission. Verse 20. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So, and the reason why that's usually omitted is because we, 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 we shy away from we're supposed to teach people everything that Jesus has commanded, and a lot of times we shy away from that because we ourselves don't really know. Uh, so, and this is also flies in the face of some of our modern-day culture, and that is that you can't really say that anything's wrong. You can't, there can be no standard of right and wrong, but yet it's impossible for a disciple of Jesus to teach the world all that he has commanded if we've been given you know, the, the, the commandment by the world to say you can't say that there's something that's right and something that's wrong. If you do that, then you may be canceled from all society. You might be called mean. Now, remember, we certainly do this out of love, but as disciples of Jesus, we don't ever apologize for his standards and his commandments. We just don't. Uh, and we don't have to be sanctimonious jerks about it. We don't have to be mean about it. But what we say is, you've heard me say this many times, I'm not against you. I'm just for him. I'm his disciple. This is what he's commanded me. This is his standard for gender. This is his standard for sexual purity. This is his standard for marriage. This is his standard uh, for uh, uh, how you treat each other. This is his standard for exclusivity and redemption, that he is the only name that you can be redeemed. I don't apologize for those things because he is my Lord. He is my Savior. I am his disciple, and I will now teach the world all that he has commanded, and I will not compromise it, and I will not apologize for it. Well, see, that kind of flies in the face of the culture, doesn't it? You know, but, but that's what Jesus told us to do. He, he didn't say, uh, and this is another one that I've heard even, even with people that I love, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, unless it's not your personality. That's not in here. You know what he said? This is what you do. But remember, don't miss this part. The last thing he says. And why do we forget this? This, this, is, this is where our cowardice comes in. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He didn't send us out there by ourselves. He didn't say, well, look, I'm going back to my proper place with the Father, and here's what I'm going to tell you to do, and good luck to you. No, he says, go do it, but look, I'll give you the power to do it. I'm not going to leave you. Remember what he said, it's good that I go, because now the Holy Spirit comes. My, present will be, my presence will be with you wherever you go. This is what I've told you to do, and I'll equip you to do it. Amen? Y'all do know that Jesus really does change people, right? That Jesus really does enable you to do things that you can't do on your own, right? When you say, well, I can't do this, Jesus, you know, he says, you think I don't know that? <laughs> That's why I said don't go without me. I'll do it. You just be obedient. I'll honor your obedience. I promise you I will, okay? But he says there are no excuses on this. So back to the original question at the beginning, Back to the original question, if Jesus were to show up and he were to look into your life and look into my life and he said, I told you to make disciples, I told you to go uh, to, to, to all parts of the world, I told you to teach people what I have commanded you, I am back, the age of grace is over, I'm turning off the faucet, now comes judgment and I want to know if you did your job. So show me the disciples that you made while I was gone. Do you have anywhere to point? Remember all, the, remember all the different analogies he said about the master coming back and is he getting a return on what he gave you and all these kind of things. It's going to be a big deal. And I love this because Sherry and I right now, my wife and I, we, we have a, a, a Sunday school class that we're teaching at our, at our local church and, we, and we, we're finishing 1 John. And I love at the end of 1 John when he's talking about this very thing. Uh, and, and John is saying, we who are disciples of Jesus, if we will simply do what he said to do, we don't have to shrink at his coming. We celebrate his coming. You know, no one, if you're living your life the way Jesus said to, you don't want someone to go, hey, I got news for you. I don't know if you've, if you've are you watching the news? Jesus is here. And you're like, oh my gosh. Age back? What? John says, live your life so that you don't shrink at his return. You, you're excited. You can't wait. You, you, you run to him. Now, this is not legalism. This is not me talking about that, you know, this thing about, you know, everything had to be done exactly right. But, but when it comes to the attitude about this, we're not responsible for people's response to Jesus. But we will be held accountable for the fact that we, did we present Jesus. Right? And... Um, and, and so this is pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, probably these verses you've heard many times, but the question is, what have you done about it? So now let's go back to Colossians. We're going to jump back over there again. So go, go back, go back to, uh, to the left again. Flip to the left. Go to the right in the Bible. So we go back to Colossians, and we see this, this, this being emphasized again. And, and like I say, these are, these are not things that, uh, that are subtle in Scripture. Uh, these are things that are pretty straightforward. And what, what's the thing that we say all the time? It's not the things of the Bible that I don't understand that convey me. It's the things that I perfectly understand. So Colossians chapter 1, and now let's look at verse 27. Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. 
to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm going to go ahead and throw 28 in there too. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Wow, this sounds like this is something we're supposed to be doing. So Paul's telling this church, to those that God chose to make known, that's his disciples, how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery. This is him saying, do the Gentiles know, do y'all know that, that Jesus has come to, to graft in the Gentiles with the Jews into one church, that, that redemption has come to the Gentiles? Redemption has come, and he says, do they know the hope that you have? Do they see Christ in you? Do they know the glory? Do they understand why this should be celebrated? And then he says in 28, Him, Jesus. So what do we proclaim, ourselves? No, Him we proclaim. Warning, look at that. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Are you becoming mature in Christ, and are you teaching someone else to become mature in Christ? And, and I love the one thing he says, warning everyone as well. You know, this goes back to this uh, huge mistake uh, that many in the Western church have decided. You know, it's almost like as human beings, we can't get balance. We always swing too far one way or swing too far the other way. And, and there was a time when people were saying, look, every time you go into church, they're just preaching hell and brimstone, da 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 that was old school, and man, give us some hope, and give us, and certainly there, there, there needs to be balance. But then what do we do? We swung all the way the other way, and we don't ever talk about hell at all. Well, that's no good either. Uh, I, I mean, how many times have we said this, and Scripture says this, <laughs> you don't understand grace. You don't understand mercy. You don't understand the excitement and the glory of redemption unless you get some kind of concept on what you've been saved from. What's going to happen if Jesus had not done what he did? That's a big deal. So, yeah, we do warn. We absolutely warn. But we encourage and, and we, we let everybody know because some people don't know. They don't understand the big deal on this. You, you understand right now one of the most prominent heresies that's, that's sweeping our country right now is universalism. It's okay. I mean, everybody's going to heaven. Now, I don't, I don't know where they got that. They, they, they've had to come out of Scripture. That's not what Jesus taught. He didn't teach that at all. And, and so, once again, remember, if somebody's in conflict with Jesus, that's got to be a red flag for you. And, and so, no, it's not true that everybody's going to go to heaven. Uh, now, there's certainly people who have different theological views on whether everyone has a chance to go to heaven. Uh, I, I tend to look at scriptures where it says it's his desire that none should perish, and, and, and Paul writing to Timothy, Timothy that said you know, that all could, could come to redemption. But, uh, but that's, that's y'all can go argue that off somewhere else. But what I can tell you is something that we don't disagree on. Everybody's not going to heaven. Uh, universalism is heresy. Uh, and if we don't warn people that universalism is heresy, they may not know. And so this is the thing that he's talking about. All right, so let's go to the mighty book of Ephesians. The mighty, mighty book of Ephesians, back to the left, uh, in your Bible, and we're going to chapter 4. Um, it, it is a mighty, mighty book, and man, I, I went through a whole Bible study of Ephesians uh, that uh, was so eye-opening, and, uh, and we'll probably take it on in here uh, pretty soon as well. But Ephesians chapter 4, 
and let's go to verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, and let's go to verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. He gave himself to them to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Okay? So, so, so let's continue all the way to 16. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Look at this. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, the opposite of being a child of faith forever, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into who? Jesus, into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's a lot there. Everybody just, hey, get your spoons out and eat that. I mean, there's a lot going on there. So here's the one thing that we see. Grow up spiritually. You can't, you can't do anything that Christ has called you to do if you don't grow up spiritually. What did Paul say? When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, then I put away childish things. Here's where I think we make a mistake a lot, and it's one of the things we're trying to do with themanchurch.com because it's embarrassing how long I was just okay with being an infant of the faith. It's embarrassed. I'm embarrassed by it. But that, that's, that's, that's old, Rick. That's over, okay? Yes, we come to Christ in a childlike faith. Yes. Jesus even says, if you can't approach me like a child, you'll never inherit the kingdom of heaven. There is a childlike faith where like a child we say, Jesus, we, we trust you with a childlike faith, meaning we don't know anything, you know everything, we trust ourselves to you. But we don't remain a child in the faith. We come in a childlike faith, but we don't remain a child in the faith. Matter of fact, he says what in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he's telling that church that's doing pretty good, he says, but don't stop. Keep pushing forward because your sanctification, which is maturation and becoming holy, your sanctification is the will of God, that you will grow up. And here's Paul telling Ephesus, grow up. And, and why is he telling us to grow up? Because no one gets to sit in the stands. How dare you? How dare anyone say, I'm just along for the ride? That's not what Scripture says. There is no option as a disciple of Jesus to say, I think I just choose not to be in the lineup. I don't want to be on the field. I would just prefer to sit in the stands and watch everybody else. That's not an option. That is not offered. That may happen in sports. You may go to your coach, and I promise you, if you tell him that, it is going to happen. I don't want to play. He'll give you that request. Okay? But how about this? How about this? And he may get tired of taking up a uniform with you. But I will, I will say this. That option does not exist in the kingdom of God. There is a role for everybody to play, so if you're not playing it, you're in sin. Because there's a role for everybody. And look, I mean, Paul makes this clear. What does he say? 
We, we need to all be, we, we got to make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It says that everybody has got a role to play. And what does he say? And you're not going to be able to play it if you keep remain, remaining a child. It's time for you to go to mature manhood, and that can be used for women too. That's just meaning you need to, you need to be an adult. For men, it means what it says, okay? Uh, but it says, and we, you can't be of any, you know, how many times, you remember me giving give that analogy a few weeks ago, if, if, if you can't be trusted with it, then you, do, you can't be given the responsibility. But it's one thing to say, I don't get to play. It's another thing to say, I'm in sin. I mean, can you imagine, there's a role that, that you are supposed to be fulfilling, and, and I, I put something out this week that we talked about in this Bible study, it's like these people that they, they want to attend church, but they don't want to plug into church. I mean, how embarrassing is it that, that you keep hearing over and over again that only 20% of the church do anything? They're the only ones who tithe. They're the only ones that go on mission trips. They're the only ones who teach. They're the only ones that go to the nursery. They're the only ones that, that volunteer, fill in the blank. Hey, can, 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 can the 20% they asked me to speak on their behalf today? They're tired of it. Okay, how many times do you always hear somebody up there begging the church body for all these roles that need to be filled, and the same old people that are already doing two other things eventually do that too. Does that not embarrass you? You don't feel guilty or sit there and take, 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 and never give? That doesn't bother you? What does that say about you? It should bother you. Do something. Attending church is not going to change you. You better plug in and be involved in the church. And, and you, you get in there and get your hands dirty. I mean, it's, it, there's not, it's so fulfilling. It can be exhausting, but it's fulfilling. Aren't you tired of being tired of doing work that doesn't mean anything anyway? How about being tired for doing something for the kingdom? Well, you talk about feeling great when you finally get a day off. You're saying, I'm resting today from what? Advancing the kingdom of God. Well, you know what? Knock it out of gear and take a break and get back at it Monday. Uh, that, that's fantastic. And, you, and, there's nothing, and we, are, we don't run ourselves into the ground, but you know why a lot of people get themselves running to the ground? It's because there's only 20% of the people doing everything. You know? I mean, I was asked one time to stop saying remnant, and I said, I'm not going to stop saying remnant until the Bible stops saying it, and it doesn't say it. Well, you're making people feel bad. Well, I hope so. I hope I make you feel bad about that. Maybe you'll do something. You know, maybe, maybe you've been comfortable with this is why you won't ever change. So if this makes you uncomfortable, I hope it does. I hope you'll say, well, you know what? He's right. I'm going to get up off my rear end and do something and quit sitting in the stands expecting everybody else to do it and, and hoping it's all going to work out. Paul, Paul kind of lays this down if you go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Uh, we're very familiar with this. Um, uh, in Romans chapter 10, uh, Paul is going to start taking this on, and he's going to ask a, a pretty uncomfortable question uh, of all of us about people knowing the things that they need to know. Uh, this is Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 9. And, and, and this, is, this is salvation. But, but I'm going to take it further, though, and you need to hear the rest of it. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and please underline Lord right there, not that Jesus existed or you believe historically he, 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 he was around, that you, that you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So that's a biggie. Uh, if, if you repent of your sins, you confess that you are coming under the authority of Christ as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And nobody can do that for you but you. That's between you and God. 
I have no idea the sincerity of people's hearts. No idea. Uh, as I talked about last week, uh, everybody makes a decision, and some people decide to repent and submit to the authority of Christ. Some people decide to do nothing. But everybody, everybody makes a decision. And I don't know the sincerity of their decision, but just because I don't know that doesn't mean I'll deny them the opportunity to make that decision. So in verse 11, For the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Hallelujah. Verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. 13, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's again why I'm, you know, I'm not, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. The opportunity is there for everybody, but the universalists are wrong. Everybody's not going to do that. Okay? How then, and this is where, this here comes conviction right here. 14, how then were they called on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? How beautiful are those who preach the good news? 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believeth what he has heard from us? Meaning not everybody is going to respond. Isaiah was talking about that, I mean, back when he was a prophet. He's like, man, uh, Lord, I, I go out and say what you say to say, but some people don't respond. They may not. So that we should not be concerned about who responds and who doesn't. What we should be concerned about is if we ever gave them the opportunity to respond. Think about what Paul's saying is they, they, they cannot believe in, in, in someone if they have never heard of him and how are they ever going to hear of him if somebody doesn't tell them. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And then how is somebody going to preach if they're not ever sent? So here's the question. Preaching here doesn't necessarily mean you have to go up and preach to a group or you have to you know, start your own church or anything like that. What it's saying is that people, it is impossible for somebody to hear about something if nobody ever tell them about it. Would you, would you say that's impossible? So I, I remember talking to someone here recently, um, and the person, I got, I'm going to be very careful with this. I, I'm, I'm going to speak very, very general, because I've, I've unfortunately had this happen in my life. But the person that they love and know has passed away. And one of the things that's bothering this person the most is that they said, you know what, we talked about everything under the sun, but I never really talked to him about Jesus. And he's, and he's saying, I don't know why. why. Why didn't I do that? And now here I am not knowing whether my friend is in eternity or not. And I've had to go back and check with his wife to, to see is there any indication that he had interest in the Bible? Or and and and, and luckily, they, there was something came back said that he requested a Bible recently. But what the, what the friend was struggling with is why have I put myself in this situation? You know, and there and there's good news. I mean, we don't know. Maybe his friend did get in the scriptures on his own, and I certainly am not going to announce that the friend's not going to be in eternity with him. But that's not the point. The point is he doesn't know. I mean, I hope 
that, that if y'all put me in the ground, that there's nobody saying, well, we don't know about Burgess. Who knows? And I hope there's no one that has spent any time with me that says, well, Rick never told me. He, he just never talked about it. It's just not something he ever, he ever, he ever, he ever talked about. I, I guess he wasn't comfortable with it. I don't know. But see, that can't be the problem because we're perfectly com comfortable talking about everything that we care about. So that can't really be it. That's the part that convicted me. I realized I wasn't talking to people about Jesus because I didn't care about it. It didn't, it didn't mean anything to me. Because if I understood what Jesus actually did and I understood what telling, offering Jesus to someone actually means, I would much rather hear me loud and clear on this because I think it's going to help somebody because it helped me. I'm just passing on the things that helped me. I would much rather a person decide not to be around me anymore because I keep talking about Jesus than for them staying around me for years and years and then they die and I wonder why I didn't tell them about Jesus. You know, if they break that relationship, then at least I don't have to stand there and go, man, yeah, we spent a lot of time together, but why didn't I? So I bought a friendship and sacrificed Jesus for the friendship and now the friendship has ended. This person has passed. And what do I have now? Regret. So, so if you think about it that way, it's really pretty simple. You're not responsible for how someone responds, but we're all responsible about what we did with Jesus. We are responsible for that. And, and so this final concept in this study is that if we are disciples of Jesus, if we are his disciples, and what did we say a disciple was back in our study of John when we hit that, that mighty chapter of John chapter 15 when Jesus is talking about abiding in him and as we abide in him and he abides in us that he produces this fruit proving that we are his disciples. You remember that wonderful, for me it was an epiphany, because I realized that a disciple of Jesus is someone who produces much fruit, and then someone who produces much fruit is a disciple of Jesus. A disciple produces much fruit, and anyone who produces much fruit is a disciple. Not because of how wonderful they are, but how powerful Jesus is and how they must be abiding in him. And what does abide mean? To make a decision to remain, to act in accordance with. That's what abide means. It's not a casual relationship. And I've told you guys, in my mind, what I do is I figuratively picture in my mind, because I know of what, the, the, my, my, what, what is my biggest enemy every day. It's not, it's, not, it's not Satan. It's me. I'm the biggest enemy. I don't know whether Satan is around me or not, because he can't be everywhere all the time. I don't know that I rank his number one slot. I know there's a third of the angels, and there's dark forces in the spiritual realm. I got all that. But it's still one-third versus two-third. Most of the problems, James says in his book, most of the problems I encounter are self-induced. It's just my sinful nature. It's just my flesh. So what I do is I picture myself every day getting up and taking my arms and wrapping them around Jesus. Some of y'all know this, and I hope you've adopted this. And I just take my head and picture myself burying my head into his chest and just say, i got to hang on to you. I'm capable of anything without you. So I abide in you. I hang on to you. I remain in you. And then because I do that, you're starting to produce things that are coming out of me that I can't produce. 
that only you can. And there's a lot of people that knew me before Jesus and know me after Jesus. And you know who they're impressed with? Jesus. Because <laughs> they know how worthless I am. So, to review, disciples have been transformed by Christ. Disciples surrender to a gospel-centered life. Disciples hunger to know God. Disciples desire to worship God. Disciples pursue personal holiness. Disciples embrace Christian community. Disciples engage with their surroundings. And disciples invest in multiplying disciples. Tough, tough test. Uh, so if you've been with us for all eight sessions, do you pass the test of being called a disciple of Jesus? If not, that's all right. If not, at least admit it. I'm, I've looked here. I've seen areas I need to work on. I don't think any of us can say I, I, I get an A+. Plus. But, but don't just say that. Go to the areas where you need to work and work. And, and, and say, look, Jesus, I need your help. I'm, I'm not doing that well in this particular characteristic. And, uh, and he'll always give you the power that you don't have. He promises to do that if we love him with all our heart, soul, and, and strength. So next week we'll start a brand-new uh, series. We're going to go expository again. Now, expository means we're going to go word for word through a book of the Bible, and that will be Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. It'll be 1 Corinthians. We'll go word for word through that over ever how long it takes. Okay? So uh, hopefully you'll be with us next week. If you've missed sessions of this uh, on our YouTube channel, just click playlist, uh, and you'll see uh, all eight sessions of this and go to the ones you missed, or you can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on listen, and you can find them there. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the conviction of your word, uh, and we are convicted. Uh, may we respond now to that conviction uh, by, by changing the things that need to be changed. Uh, may, maybe just taking a step more towards you, maybe to abide in you more than we do. Uh, and, Lord, uh, just help us to be the, the men and women that only you can make us. Uh, we love you, Lord. And if you're listening right now and uh, watching this and you think, you know what, I, I, just, I don't think I'm a disciple of Jesus because I don't think I've ever been redeemed. Well, yeah, that would make that difficult. Uh, so, you know, maybe today's the day you just say, look, I submit to the authority of Jesus. I do believe in my heart, and I do confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I do believe that he paid the price for my sin, that he is the only perfect Lamb of God, and I turn from my sin, and I turn to Jesus, and I submit to his Lordship, and I ask him to change me because I can't change me. And I do believe that your Father rose you from the dead on the third day, and you defeated eternal death, Lord. And, Lord, I want you to save me. I don't love you, but I know that you love me. But now teach me to love you. Because if I love you, I'll obey you. And then you can make me one of your disciples. But today, I just need to be redeemed. If you've prayed that for the first time or the first time you meant it, will you just reach out to me, rick, at rickandbubba.com, and I'd love to talk with you and help you any way I could. In your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen. Thanks for being with us.